hand is upon this church. Praise the Lord. Well, stand with me if you would and take your Bibles and turn to the book of Job. The book of Job chapter number 1. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 13, kind of jumping into the middle of the story. Job chapter 1, beginning in verse number 13. Your page is turning. Amen. Job chapter 1, verse 13. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. There came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing, and the asses feeding beside them, and the Sebians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven, and hath burned up the sheep, and the servants servants had consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels. They have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. Behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. Our title this morning would just be one word. Irrespective. Irrespective. Lord, would you help us in the preaching of your word today? Thank you for, Lord, how I truly believe you've been worshipped in song. Thank you, Lord, for a a spirit of anticipation and excitement that seems to be here. Lord, we rejoice in that. Lord, we've, as we read, Lord, this week, I I don't want to come to the birth and not have strength to bring forth. Lord, we pray that we would not just come to this point, Lord, but we would, we would, uh, you would deliver in this point, that you would bless in this point, that we would have, uh, Lord, your presence and your uh, glorying in this. Lord, I, I ask that you'd help Calvary back home. And uh, Lord, Brother Jones, as he preaches this morning, and thank you for him. Lord, would you help us here? Thankful that, Lord, you're big enough, you can do both. Lord, we're limited, but you're not. And so, Lord, we're, we're grateful. Lord, would you help us to zero in on what we're supposed to focus on this morning? And Lord, just bypass and skip over the things that uh, wouldn't be beneficial or wouldn't aid to the clarification and application of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And respect you. Well, you may be seated this morning. So several years ago, and I first came on staff at Calvary, I made mention of this in the Sunday school hour, I uh, uh, made a goal or set a goal uh, to try to preach through all of the Bible in my time as pastor and associate pastor there at Calvary Baptist Temple. And so uh, it's amazing as I've gotten older, I, I, we go slower through text. We are on Wednesday nights, we're preaching through the book of Jeremiah. Uh, last Wednesday, we preached message number 99. And we still probably have another 10 or so to go. So I'm slowing down in my older age and how fast we cover things. 
But several years ago, I decided uh, uh, that I would preach through everything, and I'm waiting for Hebrews for dead last. Hebrews will be my second to uh, my last book of the Bible. Song of Solomon will be my second to last book of the Bible. I'm hoping maybe I die before I get to preach that or have to preach that publicly. But uh, nonetheless, if you're familiar with your Bibles, you know what I'm talking about. And if not, then read it this afternoon, and you'll have your eyes open. Um, so several years ago, I was like, okay, well, it's time to preach through Job. You know, we preach through Psalms and kind of the exciting the kings and the prophets and those things that Pastor Dun- or Pastor Davison would say. And, and so I'm like, let's 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 just hunker down and preach through the book of Job. We're going to study the book of Job and preach through the book of Job. And I found it really there's a reason why they believe that it is the oldest Bible, uh, the oldest book of the Bible. It's the first one written because it's the, it is the human experience. It is mankind sum up in a nutshell. It really is in their struggles and their difficulties, in their questioning of God, Job's relationship with the Lord, and so we set forth to preach through the book of Job, so we'll do so this morning. The book of Job is primarily known for really two things. He's primarily known for his suffering, but even more significant than his suffering would be that his response to the suffering, that, that, it, that there has been others in the Bible who have suffered much like Job, but aren't as famous as Job, because it's not Job's suffering that really draws our attention, but his response to the suffering that really draws our attention. In chapter number 1 and verse number 1, the Bible starts off by complimenting Job. You realize how rare it is in the Bible for a book of the Bible to start off by complimenting the recipients of that word. And he says, there was a man in the land of us, a man by the name of Job, a man that was a perfect man, an upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. Now, the word perfect, I'm not correcting the King James, the King James corrects us. The word has changed over the years. The word perfect there wouldn't mean without error, it would mean complete. Job was an absolute servant of God. He was dedicated and passionate in all that he does, in all that he is for the Lord. So much so that God bragged on Job to the devil. What a thought that the devil comes in, the accuser of the brethren, and he comes in and starts talking about all God's people on earth and how wicked they are. And God says, yeah, yeah, yeah. But have you considered my servant Job, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And the devil answers and says, doth Job fear God for naught? In other words, simplified, he says, God, the only reason why the devil or why Job serves you is because you've blessed him, because you've protected him, you've given him everything he wants. He lives a charmed life. But if you would let me touch him, if you would let me curse him, if you would let me pursue him, he would curse you to your face. So God allows the devil to do that. That's where we pick up our text, beginning in verses 13 and then into verse number 14, where the devil begins to attack. Side note to the sermon this morning, let me just say this. If it were not for the restraining hand of God, the devil would destroy each and every one of us like that. If it were not for God's help, if it were not for God's assistance, if it were not for the Holy Spirit of God restraining the devil and what he wants to do, he would destroy every single one of us in a moment of time. He hates us. He still walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he still desires, as Peter, to sift us as wheat. And thank God he restrains the devil. But we see Job's suffering this morning, first of all. We're gonna, we'll kind of follow this pattern a lot this week, seemingly, but we'll kind of We'll kind of explain the text and then we'll preach. Does that, does that make sense? It, I, it's been my experience, it works better that way instead of just preaching and then explaining the text. All kinds of, yeah, we'll just get to the text. All right, so let, let's look at Job's suffering, what he lost. Verse number 14. And there came a messenger to him and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them, and the Sebians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they've slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. 
So there came a day where Job is just doing Job things. He's the uh, 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 one of the wealthiest men of the East, the Bible says, the greatest man of the East. And, and uh, so he's a very wealthy man. And, and one of the his servants comes to him, running up to him, and what's going on? And he said, well, the Sebians have fallen upon uh, uh, the oxen and the asses, the, uh, the oxen and the donkeys, and, and uh, they've taken all of them. Now, it's interesting. We'll talk more about the Sebians later. But they were a peaceful tribe. They were a nomadic tribe. They, they weren't problems. So, come on, you're looking at me funny. But it's not like I just said the Philistines fell upon them. It's not like I just said the Amalekites fell upon them. It's not like I just said the Egyptians fell upon them. I mean, we don't really fear the Sebians. Nobody writes a song about the Sebians. They're just kind of there. They're just, they're just kind of this nomadic tribe. Uh, application could be this. Um, never underestimate someone under demonic control. Oh, come on. In our world history, we've seen things just of late. Just of late. Come on. Where people do unspeakable horrors under demonic control. Un under devil influence. And so these Sebians come in and they steal all of the oxen and all of his asses. And not only do they steal stuff, but they also kill the servants. And uh, as we read in chapter 42, you can go and read all of the uh, uh, amount of animals that he had. He must have had several servants there watching those animals and they are all killed. Only one is escaped. Verse number 15. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And so Job is kind of letting this register. All of my donkeys have been stolen. All of uh, 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 my oxen have been stolen. How is that going to affect me? How am I going to handle this? How am I going to respond to this? And while he's still processing that, verse 16, while he was yet speaking, here comes the next wave. Here comes the next servant. There came also another and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep. And so Job is talking to this servant. And as he's talking to this servant, here comes another servant. And, and uh, uh, Job's processing it. While this one's still talking, here comes the other one and says, uh, listen, fire from heaven came down. And we don't know, maybe it was an asteroid. Maybe it was just fire from heaven. I don't know. We, sometimes you can reason out the things in the Bible. Sometimes you just accept them by faith. And uh, a fire came down from heaven and it destroyed uh, uh, all of the sheep. And he says, I am thy servants. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Two men... Two stories, two lone survivors, all right? So he's talking to the one, he now talks to the other, while, notice now the next verse, verse number uh, 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 17, while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, the Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Servant one, servant two. Now here comes servant three. And as Job is watching servant three approach, no doubt his mind is still racing. He hasn't quite come to grips with the fact of what's going on, what's taking place. And now here comes this third servant. And this third servant says the Chaldeans. Now the Chaldeans are notable bad guys and known bad guys. He said they made out three bands. They came in three different waves of attacks. They've stolen all of the camels. They've gotten rid of all of the camels. They, they, they killed all of your servants. I'm the only one to escape. Job's finances have just been demolished. They've just been crushed. The stock market has just crashed. His 401k done 401 died. It kicked the bucket. It, 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 and Job is still reeling and trying to, to process all of this financial. Come on. Uh, my daughters are, are both in Bible college. And they text me every day. We text each other every day. But when they call, every time they call, I'm scared to answer the phone because I figure the cars broke down again. Come, you're looking at me fine. You don't have girls in Bible college, obviously, because I answer the phone and I'm like, what's wrong? And they go, or typically it's not uncommon when, they, when, they, when, they, when I answer the phone, the first thing they'll say is nothing's wrong. Why do they say that? Because I'm assuming something's wrong when they call. And so one servant's come, the other servant's come, the other servant's come. Job is reeling from all this. 
Verse number 18, while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. Behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead, and I only am escaped alone. He tells them. Oxen, sheep, or oxen and, and donkeys, sheep, camels, finances devastated. Here comes the final servant and says, Job, your ten kids were having a party together. There came a whirlwind, there came a wind out of the out of the, the land, and it smote the four corners of the house, and it collapsed on them. And Job, they're all gone. They're all dead. I'm the only one that survived. Now can tell you. The devastation that must have been going on in Job's mind is, is unreal. I have had the opportunity or the responsibility of informing people of death a few times in my pastorate. I remember before I was a pastor, when I was 19 years of age, my best friend and I, coming home from Bible college, we were involved in a car accident, and uh, my best friend was driving and fell asleep. He was thrown from the vehicle, the vehicle rolled over the top of him, and he was killed. So I called his parents and had to had to tell his parents over the phone that, that their only son was gone, that he was home with the Lord. I can't imagine being on the other end of that phone call. can't imagine a servant coming up and saying, park your three kids. They, they were all together and there was an accident. And, and, and they're gone. And I don't mean to be overly dramatic this morning, but sometimes in our familiarity with the text, we might have it lose some of its poignancy, some of its power, some of its, its punch, as, as we're just so familiar with it, it it's, it's brazen to us, or we're a little callous to it, but this is a significant thing, and it wasn't one event. In my mind, somehow it would be different if there was one hurricane, if there was one tornado, if there was one earthquake, and, and he lost everything in one event, that would be bad. But it wasn't one event, it's one after the other, after the other, and then the final devastating blow. As Job is, is, I've lost my kids, I've lost my wealth, all in four separate events, back to back to back. And the Bible is specific. The servants came while he was yet speaking, while he was yet speaking, while he was yet speaking. Let's look at Job's natural reaction. And I'm, I'm so glad verse 20 is in the Bible. So glad verse 20 is in the Bible. Job's natural reaction. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. For all of our knowledge of Job and praising of Job, as well we should, and, and listen, if God praises Job, we're okay to praise Job. If God praises Job, we're okay to praise Job. And, uh, but I love verse 20 because verse 20 isn't the, the super spiritual reaction. Verse number 20 is the natural human reaction. No, no, he, he arises, he gets up off the ground, and, and he goes and he, and he shaves his beard, uh, shaves his head, and he falls down, and he rips his mantle, and he worships the Lord. No, it's not as if Job was a super pious Christian, and he stands up and he goes, well, you know, you win some, you lose some. That's not the reaction from Job here at all. He's devastated. He's, he's brokenhearted. He, he shaves his head. He rips his mantle. These would be customs not that we're familiar with, but that would have been very uh, uh, normal there. We, we would grieve. We would wear maybe dark clothes and, and be solemn and quiet and, and reflective and all of those things. But here he's, he's grieving openly for his loss. I'm grateful that it doesn't mean you're not right with God if you grieve. 
It doesn't mean you're not right with God if you struggle with regular human emotions and, and, and difficulties. Listen, when my when completely different level, when my uh, tire goes flat, I don't go, praise Jesus, I have a flat tire. You go, well, you're supposed to praise God in everything. Yes, the Bible says to praise Him in everything, not necessarily for everything. And so there's nothing wrong with, with struggling with loss. There's nothing wrong with struggling with, with life's issues. That is, that is the, the evil that we bear in this life because of sin. That is the, the burden that we bear until we get to heaven to be with Jesus Christ forever. So there's nothing wrong with his natural reaction here to, to, to uh, be upset and shave his head. And, and then he, he falls down and worships and cries out to God. But in verses 21 and 22, we see his unnatural reaction or his amazing reaction and how he responds. I'm imagining here just a little bit, the Bible says that he's had time to fall down, he's had time to, to shave his head, he's had time to rent his mantle, and, and he's had time to worship, and now he's going to speak. By the way, always a good idea to do some work before you speak. And so he gets this all settled, and in my head there is a funeral. I told you in Sunday school this morning, I have a very vivid imagination. When I read the Bible, I, I'm, I'm imagining, I'm picturing Job. I'm, I'm picturing Mrs. Job. I'm picturing uh, the, the scene there. And, and uh, uh, it's, a, it's a church service. I understand the church wasn't around. Give me a little bit of theological license there, all right? And uh, you've got ten caskets up front. I, I've been to a service with two. I've never been to a service with ten. I, I've never heard of a service outside of this, of a service of ten, and all were your kids. And I don't know if they sang, I don't know how they worshipped, I don't know exactly what they would have done and all that would have entailed at this funeral. And then all of a sudden, uh, Job stands up and, and he's going to speak and he's going to walk to the platform and, and uh, uh, say some words. And, and if you're the pastor, you're nervous. You're nervous. Every, every pastor's nervous at a funeral when the family begins to speak because they're heartbroken. and You don't know, you don't know what they're going to say. You don't know what's going to happen. And, and Job walks up to the platform and maybe he stands behind the microphone. I know they didn't have microphones. Everybody relax. And he says, Naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return to thee. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he walks back down and sits down. No, hold on. If you're there in that funeral, you're there in that service. I've never lost a child. I can't imagine what that would be like. He's lost ten kids. He's lost his finances. He has no idea what, what tomorrow holds or, or, or how anything is going to function. And he gets up and supernaturally said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Can you imagine the reaction of the people in the crowd? Wow. I, I'm imagining they were impressed because it's been approximately four to 5,000 years later and we are. Come on, we're, we're, we're inferring they were impressed because all these thousands of years later, we're still impressed. I'm impressed. I don't know that I would have handled it that way. I don't know that I would have handled it that graciously. That he stands up and he says, the Lord gave, the Lord had taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we're amazed by that. It's not just Job's suffering that we remember. It's his response to the suffering that really makes the story come alive. And it really sticks with us in our, in our memory banks. And we're, we're blown away. And so I'm preaching through this. And I'm like, how on earth 
Could a man lose everything, humanly speaking, and stand up and say, the Lord gave it, the Lord had taken it away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And my first thought is, well, he was crazy. He was delirious and, and just crazy. He was, he was psychotic. He was, he was without natural emotion, without natural affection. Come on, we see that in the world today. We see people, uh, they lose their kids and they're like, ah, no big deal. We see people trading their kids for, for drugs and alcohol and, and wickedness in that way. We see murder and, and vile, repugnant acts we, and people are just indifferent. Well, well maybe that, no, 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 because no, verse 20 is in the text. And verse 20 says that he, he, he shaved his head and he ripped his mantle and he fell down and worshipped. And again, that is different for us, but that would have been exactly customary as to what he should have been doing as a human in response to what he had lost. And then in verse 21, he completely changes everything and flips the script. And then in verse number 22, it says, In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. And so I'm like, Lord, I have to, I have to expound this text to our church. I have to explain this text to our church. How on earth could a person lose everything and still love and serve you? And it took some time, I confess. I, I would love to just be like, oh yeah, I got it, just like that, you know, God told me. So it took some time in studying and in, in praying about it, and, and, and here's the answer. All right, here's, this is kind of the crux of the message, so next 10 seconds are kind of important. The only reason why a person could lose all of those things and still serve the Lord was because none of those things was why he was serving the Lord. The only reason why Job could serve the Lord in spite of losing those things was because those things were not the reason why he was serving the Lord. You see, this morning, why we serve will ultimately determine how we serve and how long we serve. Because it's just a matter of time until the devil attacks us. And in Job chapter 2, Job says, or Job chapter 3, Job says, the thing that I have greatly feared has come upon me. The thing that Job feared the most was the loss of his children, was the loss of his family. The devil knew that, and that's exactly where the devil attacked. I'm telling you this morning, the devil knows you. He knows what you're afraid of. He knows what your weaknesses are, and that's exactly what he's going to try to exploit. And if you are not serving the Lord because he is worthy to be served, and because he is faithful in all that he does, then eventually the devil will find the thing that is the reason why you quit and the reason why you stop. I have never been, I have never had occasion, I have never had reason to be in, in Fall City, Nebraska. I imagine that. I'm 46 years old. I have my whole life, I've never had the occasion to be in this town. It's not exactly a metropolitan, you know, it's not exactly New York City. And some of you are like, yes, thank God, it's not New York City. But I guarantee you, in a town of 4,000 people in Fall City, Nebraska, we could get in a car with Pastor and we could drive around this town. And if you go to the people that live there, and the people that live there, and the people that live there are Eustace. They're people who used to serve. They're people who used to come. They're people who used to be passionate. They used to sing the same songs that we sing, read out of the same King James Bible that we read out who are under the same pastoral leadership that had just as much enthusiasm and they don't anymore. Or maybe they're here, but they don't have the same enthusiasm. They're just kind of going through the motions. And you could respond to me and you could tell me, well, Brother Park, if you knew what had happened to me, and to that I would just say, the only way you and I can continue to serve the Lord in spite of the loss or the hurts is if that's not the reason why we were serving the Lord. 
I'd like to look back through the text and show you just a couple of things that if you and I are going to serve the Lord, we're going to have to do in spite of some things. First of all, we're going to have to do it in spite of some bad people. In spite of some bad people. Verse number 15 again, and the Sebians fell upon them. Verse number 17, and said, the Chaldeans made out three bands. Now it's easier to make a case for the Chaldeans. Um, when, uh, so uh, you have kids here at the church, um, and if you have kids, you have kids that misbehave. Come on, you have kids that misbehave. And it's typically the same kids. I mean, you know the kids. Like, it's revival week. And so, when this one walked in, you're like, good morning. And when this one walked in, you're like, good morning. Now remember, please don't set the church on fire. Not while the guest preacher's here. Why? Because that's how they typically act. The Chaldeans were that kid. They, they were the bad kid. I mean, you expect the bad kids to act bad. You don't expect the good kids to act bad. I mean, now all of a sudden, I mean, we expect the preacher's kids to act like Hanyaks so are the preacher's kids. I mean, that, that happens. But, but when the other kids start acting bad, bad that, 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 that's shocking. And so the Chaldeans doing what they did is not shocking. The Sebians doing what they did is shocking. David said it this way in the Psalms. He said, my friend, mine own familiar friend hath raised his hand against me. And when people that you love and people that you trust, it's one thing when the, come on, it's one thing when the liberals act a certain way towards you, but when it's Christians that act a certain way towards you, when it's the people within the congregation that act a certain way towards you, when it's your own family that turns against you, and you're like, what on earth? No doubt. Job's going, I, I, I've invested in them. I protected them. I helped them. I, I nourished them. And then they turned around and did this to me. Years ago, I was door knocking in Fort Collins and I had just become the pastor and I was convinced I was going to door knock the whole town like in the first month. So 185,000 people in Fort Collins. I didn't get it done in the first month. Um, so I'm knocking doors and I'm super excited. I mean, I'm, I'm energetic and I'm, man, I'm the pastor. I'm just great. And, a uh, man answers the door. He's an older man. I said, my name is Park Sutton. I'm the new pastor of Calvary Baptist Hill. Just going around the neighborhood and inviting folks to church. Do you have a church that you attend? And he goes, no. He just stares at me. I mean, normally you're kind of waiting for him to do And I go, well, you're the kind of guy we're looking for then. Can I invite you to Calvary Baptist Temple? No. I said, well, sir, you seem to be not really interested in church. Is there a story that goes along with that? Yes. I got time. Would you like to tell me the story? No. Now, typically, that's where you just hand him a track and be like, all right, I try. Well, okay. But I said, can I get your name? And he said, Lee Mason. I said, Lee Mason. So that, that, that name sounds really familiar. He goes, well, it should. I was your dad's Sunday school teacher. What? And he goes, come on in, let me into the house. So I came in and sat down and he got me some iced tea. And, and uh, I said, yeah, I said, I remember. I said, you gave my dad a pair of boots. He goes, no, I didn't. I gave him five pairs of boots. They gave him like snake skin and elephant skin and stuff. For the, I mean, my dad gave my dad real nice pairs of boots. And so I'm talking to him and he looks, he looks, I don't know how old he is. He looks like a hundred. Okay. He looks well advanced in years. So I'm talking to Lee Mason and he gets, he gets some friendliness in him. He gets a little smile in him. And he starts talking about my dad. And he did not lead my dad to the Lord, but he was my dad's Sunday school teacher right after my dad got saved. My dad was 21 when he got saved, and I was a drunk, a wife abuser. Uh, God, God did amazing things in the life of my, my dad. And uh, uh, so my dad starts coming to Sunday school. Lee Mason is his Sunday school teacher. And he goes, man, your dad was so excited. And now I'm putting stories together that my dad's told me, and he's verifying some of those stories. 
correcting some of those stories too, you know how that goes? And so we're, we're, we're having these, these, and he's laughing and cutting up, and he goes, and your mom was there, and he goes, I remember when, when she was pregnant and, and uh, had your sister, and, and I just, just telling all these stories, and he's like, we're so proud of your dad, and, and it was so exciting watching him change, and his first sermon, his first sermon, he goes, oh my goodness, his first sermon, he had five points, he preached through his five points in about three minutes, and then didn't know what else to do, so he went back through the five points, and he said, now, Steve, you're an example of point number one, and Tim, you're, a point, you're an example of point number two, and he goes, that didn't go over very well. It was funny, it was funny. So we're having this, I mean, incredibly engaging conversation, and I went, Brother, Brother Lee, it's awesome. Where do you go to church? I don't. Changed. I don't. But we've been talking for like a half hour. We, why? He goes, you want to know why? I'll tell you why. He goes, that you're the building that we are now in. We, we inherited a building. Tim, my dad started Temple Baptist Church. We, we inherited a building from Calvary Baptist Church. That's the Calvary Baptist Temple. And how that came about. The building that we are in, he said, I was the Sunday school superintendent there. I was a deacon there. I was a Sunday school teacher there. He, he talked about stuff around the church building. He said, I, I built that. I, I did that. I, 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 I gave to that. I participated in that. And because he was the church treasurer, there was a man who said the books needed to be audited and accused him of stealing money. They audited the books, and there was no, no evidence of any fraud, any wrongdoing. He was completely exonerated. I'm talking to one side of the story. I understand that. I'm talking to one side of the story. He said, the pastor told me afterwards, no one will give if you're still the treasurer because they'll assume the rumors were true. And so I need you to step down as treasurer. I, 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 you're fired. You're removed. He said, I left his office. I went home. I got all of the, the church books. I got all of my Sunday school material. I got all of the keys. I went back and I dropped it off at the front porch of the church. That was 1982. I've not been back to church since. You know what happened? He got hurt by somebody he trusted. And he let it stop him. If you let somebody else stop you from serving God, it's just a matter of time you will. It's just a matter of time. You will, because people will hurt you. People will absolutely hurt you. You go, they're Christians. They shouldn't do that. Agreed. I, I'm not even arguing with you. I'm just arguing they will. I, I'm telling you, they absolutely will. You know who the most likely person is at, at, at Valley Avenue Baptist Church to hurt you? Pastor Barry. Why? Don't you know him? <laughs> No, no, the reason why, the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, in the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. You talk a lot, you'll eventually say something you regret. Who talks the most in church? Please don't look at somebody and point at a woman somewhere. That would be really awkward. The person who talks the most in church is the pastor. It's, it's, it's just a matter. Well, Brother Park, I mean, I, I was coming, but then Pastor Moore left, and no, 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 no. Can I tell you, you were serving for the wrong reason. You were absolutely serving for the wrong reason. Well, I, I was coming, but then, but then a deacon said this about me, and I'm not. No, no, then, then you were serving for the wrong reason. 
And over and over and over again, the people who quit serving because somebody hurt them, they quit going to that church because somebody hurt them, they always act like they're going to go somewhere else, but the vast majority of times, they don't. And 20 years later, 10 years later, 5 years later, you go back, the vast majority of people who've left Calvary Baptist Temple are not attending other churches. They're just not attending church because it wasn't anything to do with us and what we did or how we acted. It was because they weren't serving the Lord for the right reasons. And thus, when bad people came in, they stopped. Number one, bad people. Number two, I, I did this this morning, so this is, I think, the last time this week I'll do this. Bad God. Bad God. Quote-unquote bad God. And I say that in quotation marks because God's never been bad. But notice verse number 16. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, the fire of God is fallen from heaven. So the servant who comes to Job says, God did it. No, don't, don't look at me funny. The servant says, God did it. The fire fell from God in heaven. Verse number 21. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. So in verse number 16, the servant said, God did it. In verse number 21, Job said, God did it. No, he said the Lord gave, and the Lord had taken away. If you and I are going to serve God, it'll be irrespective, regardless of, of condition, circumstances, or events. That's what irrespective means. It'll be in spite of bad people, and it'll be in spite of, quote-unquote, bad God, and here's what I mean by that. Where God doesn't do what you thought He should have. And can I tell you, more often than not in my life and in my ministry, that one's me. I'm a preacher's kid. This is going to sound so bad. I, I should wait until like Tuesday or Wednesday to say something this, this blunt, be this honest. But it, um, I'm used to stupid people in ministry. I'm a preacher's kid. Like, I'm kind of used to that. Like, like, I've seen that like my whole life. I mean, people just making... I, okay, you're, you're looking at me funny. Maybe you need a little funny story. Okay, so when I first became, uh, 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 first got hired in ministry, first church I got hired, I was a youth pastor. First Sunday there, a guy asked for an appointment with the pastor after church. He came up to the pastor after church, and he said, uh, this will be my last Sunday here. We're leaving, and uh, we're going to go find some other church. And pastor, of course, is, is devastated. He goes, why, why is that? And he goes, well, because we want to find a church. He, he goes, you're too mean, you're too blunt for my wife, and you're not blunt enough for me. So we're going to go try to find another church. And I'm sitting here going, I mean, this is literally my first day on the job. And I'm like, you're a special kind of stupid, aren't you? I mean, like that, that's, that's going to be hard to find a church that's blunt enough for you and nice enough for your wife. Be warmed and filled. I mean, there's not a whole lot you can do to fix that. I'm used to people being, being foolish in, in some of their decisions and some of their rationale. I'm used to that. But I wasn't used to God not doing what I thought He should. And in my ministry, in, 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 in 21 years at Calvary Baptist Temple, in 25 years now in, in full-time Christian service, the times I've been the closest to going, you know what, I don't even know if I want to do this anymore. It wasn't because man hurt me. It was because I thought God was going to do something and He didn't do it the way I thought it needed done. A big revival meeting. We worked, we labored, we prayed, we fasted. Uh, uh, we, we were praying God to do special things. As a youth pastor, this is when I was a youth pastor, we were praying for 150 teenagers. 150 for the, every night of the revival. We averaged about 120. And I was devastated. 
I wept. I was, I know, the, 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 the arrogance, the stupidity. Oh my God, what are you doing? Maybe that doesn't resonate. Had a young, young lady in our church who got saved, came into our church, rode our bus, got saved, grew up, went to Bible college. She was going to be in ministry and felt like the Lord had called her into missions, and so she was looking for that, that husband that was going to you know, be in mystery, ministry and be in missions. And, and this, this is the story from her own mouth. She says, I was, I was leaving, I had graduated, I was leaving campus, I was in my car, I was driving off campus for the last time. And I was so certain that God was going to give me a husband, that God was going to give me what I wanted, that God was going to give me what I needed. She goes, I was driving slow, fully expecting some guy to come over and be like, hey, before you leave, you know, can I, can I get your number? Can we talk? Can we? And she goes, and I, and I drove to the edge of the campus and, and even stopped and like waited and looked around and there, there wasn't anybody. And, and she said, I drove off the campus and began driving back home. And, and she goes, and with every mile that I drove, I began getting more and more angry with the Lord. That here I had gone to Bible college, here I had graduated Bible college, I was willing to be in ministry, and He hadn't given me a husband, and He hadn't given me what I thought I deserved. And, and, and the, the more and more I drove, the angrier and angrier I got. She had told us when she would be back in Fort Collins, and so we were texting her and stuff. She didn't respond. It was kind of a little odd. And, and she missed that first Sunday that she should have been back. Didn't think much of it. And she came on Wednesday, we talked to her, and she continued going to church and, and whatnot. And about three months later, a pastor approached me and said, Brother Sutton, he said, uh, I, I have a son that's a bit of a moron. And he's graduated Bible college, and he's, he's 27 years old, and he can't find a wife, and he wants to be a missionary. Do you know of any young ladies? Yes, I do. And so I go to this young lady, and I go, And I check with my wife first. He's not a goober. He's not a weirdo. He's not a wackadoo. Because I've learned that with my daughters. The guys I would think. Anyhow, okay. So, and I go, I found a guy. And he's in ministry. And his dad, I told his dad all about you. And his dad wants to set you guys up. She starts crying. She, we're sitting in a tent at a church fellowship. She slides off of her chair onto the floor and wraps her arm around my legs and just begins to weep. She says, I'm pregnant. She says, you're pregnant? You, you've, not even, you've not even dated anyone. You've not, you've not had a... You're pregnant. I got so mad, Pastor, when I was coming home from Bible college that I didn't have a husband and I didn't have a teacher and I didn't have... She goes, I went to a party. And one time, with some random guy. And now it's over. And she, she used this expression repeatedly. Who will want me now? Can I tell you what happened? She thought God was going to give her what she wanted in her time. And when God didn't, she said that I'm done. Now hold on. She went to an extreme in it. No doubt. She went to an extreme in it. Well, let's not act like we don't do that. When God doesn't do what we want. Well, I, I gave my offering. Where's my bonus at work? 
point. I, I, I did what I was supposed to do. How come God hasn't given me what, what I thought He would give me? How come I don't have the full-time position? How come I don't have the spouse? How come I don't have the relationship? How come I don't have... How, how come my husband hasn't gotten saved? How, how come our, our marriage hasn't been restored? God, I loved you. God, I served you. God, I did everything for you. And how come I haven't gotten back what I deserve? Whoa, 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 cut out. Are you doing it so you can get back? Or are you doing it because He's worthy? If you're doing it so you can get back, you're actually doing it for yourself. Then you're really not worshiping. You're really doing it for yourself. Bad people. Bad God. Lastly, bad circumstances. Verse number 18, While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in the elder brother's house. And there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men. I, I, I'm hesitant to use this expression, bad luck. Bad luck. Bad, just, just bad circumstances. What wind comes in and knocks the four corners of the house down? You would, you'd think, I mean, I, I, again, very vivid imagination. If it had knocked two corners down, then maybe those that have been under this side would be safe. If it knocked those two corners down and it fell, sorry, y'all are gone, but, but, but this, this side's got a chance. And, and by, but it knocked all four corners down. It twisted it and fell and they're gone. They're they're, they're gone. It's amazing how people will love and serve the Lord until their car breaks down. And then they're offended. And then they're upset. Because transmissions aren't supposed to go out of Christians' cars. <laughs> I'm preaching. So all of this, maybe we could just sum it this way. Whatever it takes to stop you is likely the very thing you are serving. Whatever it takes to stop you. Well, if I lost my kids, so you're only in it for your kids. Well, if my husband doesn't get saved, so you're only in it so your husband gets saved. We say it that way. We can say it the other way. I'm only in it for, I'm in it so my wife gets saved. So you're only in it? You see, here's the thing. If God does that, praise His name. But if He doesn't, praise His name. When I graduated from Bible college, or actually I was still in Bible college, there was a church in Cheyenne, Wyoming that didn't have a pastor. I'm 21 years of age. I drive up to Cheyenne, Wyoming, and I'm looking at this church building. I'm walking around this church building, envisioning me being the pastor of this church and just kind of you know, dreaming big, and, and I get in Bible college, not a good student in Bible college, and here I am thinking I'm the 21 going to pass the you know. And I'm looking at this building, and I'm looking at what's going on, and I, I remember thinking this, this will never do. This will never do. You can't run multiple thousand people in Cheyenne, Wyoming, in a church building this small. I mean, this this will never do. I need a much bigger building. The fact that God didn't like strike me dead in the parking lot or turn me into a pillar of salt in the parking lot is a pretty amazing thing looking back at it. But I really did think that God would bless in our ministry and I really did believe that, that God would, would, that I would pastor a church of, of thousands and I, I really believed that. I really, really thought that. I really. The average Sunday we have 150. I'm thankful. I'm glad it's not 149. 
I'm thankful. But if I was only in it for a crowd of a thousand, then I'm done. Well, Pastor, you don't understand. I have prodigals. I have, I have kids that have gone astray and, and I, I so desperately want them to come back. And I, my heart aches. Every camp I have, I have preached over the last few years, there's someone in the week that will come to me and say, Pastor, please pray for my, my son. Please pray for my daughter. They're prodigals. They're away. And, and the, the hurt and the pain in their lives and with mom and dad. And in our church, there's, there's people exactly like that. Uh, if there's no greater joy than your children walk in truth, then there's no greater heartache or sorrow when they're not. So you'll serve if they come back. But what if they don't? You'll serve if you get the promotion. But what if you don't? You'll serve if you get the spouse. But what if you don't? You'll... You follow? Paris Redhead said this, Is God a means to an end? Or is he the end? Is God something you serve and pursue so that you can get what you really want? Or is God what you really want? And the only way Job could stand at a funeral with ten caskets, having lost everything, and say, The Lord gave, or we're taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. As if he is serving, as if he was serving God for God, and not for those ten kids, and not for the, the possessions, not for the wealth, not for the acclaim, not for the notoriety, but because God is it. You know why some people don't get saved? They have a whole list of reasons. I don't get saved because of hypocrites. Yeah, hypocrites go to Walmart. You still go to Walmart. Come on. I don't get to say the hypocrites. Hypocrite, listen, I'm just going to guess this in this neck of the woods. There's suddenly a whole bunch of Kansas City Chiefs fans that haven't been Kansas City Chiefs fans in years and years and years, but now suddenly they are. Come on. And yet, you're still a kid. You don't go, well, I'm not going to be a Chiefs fan anymore because of all the, the stinking new Kansas City. No, no. You don't, you, you don't let people stop you from doing what you want to do. So that excuse is just an excuse. Well, I got hurt. No, no, you got hurt by people. You never got hurt by God. God has never done anybody wrong. He's only done the right thing. Well, uh, I, I don't understand everything. You don't have to understand everything. There's still things about my salvation I don't understand. Truly, I'm still learning things that happened about the day that I got saved. No, no, what you have to understand is that you're a sinner, that there's a penalty attached to that sin. That means you spend forever separated from God in a place called hell, and God hates sin and cannot allow sin to enter into heaven, but He loves you. And so he paid the price for your sin when he died on the cross and where he was buried and rose again the third day. And if you will say, I don't want to live a life of sin, and I believe Jesus did that for me, and you will ask him to save you, you can be saved. The Bible says it's so easy a child to do it. In fact, it's, you have to believe as a little child or you cannot do it. So we can make all these excuses and we can say, but in the end, in the end, it is up to you to choose. So here's, here's, our, here's, our, here's our finish this morning. Is your faith and your service of God irrespective? Does it hinge on something? Does it condition upon something? Does it, does it depend on something? Or is He good enough all on His own? He is. And if you're not saved this morning, don't make excuses for any other reason. It's you and God and your choice. What do you do? Would to God at the end of this week, would to God at the end of this sermon, we could all say, the Lord gave, the Lord had taken away.
Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Heads bowed this morning, eyes closed. I'm going to ask you to trust me here just a little bit this morning. You don't know me, and uh, I've probably never met you. And so I'm asking you just to accept what I'm saying. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Pastor Barry is looking. He's he's the pastor here. He's going to deal with you long after I'm gone. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask, it's not been a salvation message predominantly, but I want to ask this question. You go to the park, I'm not not sure that I'm saved. I I don't know if I died. I don't know where I would go. I don't know what would take place. I, I don't know, and I'm concerned about that. Would you pray for me? Would you raise your hand and let me pray with you about that? Brother Park, I don't know. I'm, I'm uncertain of my salvation. I would like to know that this morning. Is there anybody in the room like that? Thank you this morning. Next, I would just ask you to search your heart. Why do you serve? Why do you follow? Why do you obey? Why? Why? Because if it's for any other reason but that you love Him and He's worthy, there will come a time we'll stop. Lord, help us in this invitation. I pray that, Lord, you be pleased. Help us to see and to know that you're worthy. If you answer our prayers, you're worthy. And if you don't, you're worthy. Would you help us to respond, Lord, right now in in the correct manner, whatever that may be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We stand this morning to